The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. A farmer out checking on his cattle has a close encounter of the burned kind. And then we travel to Illinois to take a look at the story of a bizarre ghost that pulls people out of their beds and forces them into the closet. And then things get a little kinky. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Garminer. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having a lot of fun, whatever you're doing. You're all robbing a bank right now. You're like, I'm having the best fun ever. Shut up, hostages. First off, let's welcome into Dead Rabbit Command, coming in on a blue light cycle from Tron. It's blue synth, everyone. Give a round of applause. Don't bump into his light wall, otherwise you'll de-res, but blue synth. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon or if you don't fight for the users, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Blue Synth, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. It's not as cool as a light cycle, but we'll leave a stream behind us. A stream of just junk falling out of the trunk. Don't bump into that either. You'll get tetanus. I'm going to give you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're headed out to Quixada, Brazil. Jason Jalopy is driving down the road. I got most of my information from this story from an article written by Marcus Loth for UFOinsight.com. It's a really good website. I recommend checking it out. There's a lot of great articles on there. It's April 3rd, 1976. We're in Quixada, Brazil. It's 2 in the morning. Jason Jalopy is driving real quiet. It actually broke down a while ago. We're pushing it. All the stuff that was falling out of the back was essential to make the car run. And we see a man, his name is Luis Barroso Fernandez. He's just a simple farmer checking on his cattle. Brings his wagon out, little donkey. Walking free. Probably should get that donkey checked out. That's not a donkey noise. Hee-haw! Hee-haw! Luis and his donkey are taking this wagon. They're out checking on these cattle. And then all of a sudden, in the distance, Luis sees these bright lights in the sky. It looks like an airplane flying really low to the ground. He thinks, that's weird. It's 2 in the morning. I wonder what it's doing this far out here. And the way it's flying so low to the ground, it almost looks like it's about to land. Now, remember, this is his farm. It is one a plane <laughs> destroying all of his crops. And him and his donkey are standing there, and this plane is getting lower and lower and lower and closer and closer to them. And then all of a sudden, it shines an incredibly powerful, blinding beam of light at both him and his donkey. Ooh! The donkey the donkey puts one hoof up to cover his eyes. Wow! They're both paralyzed. They're both paralyzed by this beam. And the craft continues into the night sky, leaves the area, and Luis is just laying there on the ground. Now, there was a cowboy in the area just passing through. He sees what happens. He comes across Luis. He's paralyzed. He's laying on the ground. Luis is completely discombobulated. No word on the mental state of the donkey. He's probably just acting like a donkey. They take him to the hospital. They take Luis to the hospital. He actually had burns on the left side of his body. 
So it was like he was turning as the beam hit him. And he was in incredible pain. The doctors can't really figure out what's going on. They see that his skin is burned. They see that he's in pain. But when they ask him about it, he's like, uh, there was a UFO and there's a plane. Plane was coming down the shot of being the doctors don't know how to make that. Like, did he have an epileptic fit? No doctor, especially in 1976, is gonna go, it must be UFOs. To the astronomy lab. You're just gonna think this guy had some sort of epileptic fit, had some sort of seizure, and saw the bright light. That doesn't account for his burned skin, but they, they don't know what to make of it. They just know that his skin has been damaged and he's in a lot of pain. A few days after that, his hair goes completely gray. And he starts to suffer from memory problems as well. This affliction never leaves him. This happened in 1976, and it sticks with him until he dies in April of 1993. His memory gets worse and worse and worse to the point that he has the mentality of a child. By the time he passes away, he can only utter three words. Mom. Give and fear. Now, he was elderly when this happened, so you could go, well, maybe it was dementia, maybe it was some sort of Alzheimer's thing. But what made this weird? I mean, other than the UFO, him and a donkey getting paralyzed, and him only saying three words, is that his skin healed. But not just the burned parts. According to reports, as he got older, and as his mentality dropped to that of a child, his skin was repairing itself. All of the burns went away, but so did his wrinkles. By the time he died, he was an elderly man, but he had the skin of a healthy man in the prime of his life. So whatever this beam was, it seemed to regress him. It's not like the mental deterioration was similar to Alzheimer's. It was reducing him to the mindset of a child. And his skin was also being made to look younger and healthier and more supple as well. He was already old when this happened. It would have been interesting. <laughs> Aliens, let's do a test. It'd be interesting to see what would happen if they did this to like a guy in his 20s. Would he eventually, I'm not saying he would shrink into the size of a baby, but would he have lived long enough for his skin to be baby-like? You know how they have those arms that look like rolls, like dinner rolls at Thanksgiving? Would would a 20-year-old man eventually start going, no, me, no, no. <laughs> That's some dude's fetish. <laughs> That's some diaper fetish. But you know what I mean? Like, Would they start to look like a baby? Not in size, would they be like a six-foot-tall, baby-skinned person, which would be incredibly terrifying. They have, like, ruddy cheeks, big ruddy cheeks. They have their hair in a little bow. They're wearing a onesie. That's a guy's fantasy, too. Damn it, why does everything have to be a kink? We'll talk about that, actually, in our last story. But, again, it's almost like this beam was regressing him mentally and physically too far mentally. Like, if he had had the mind of a 20-year-old and the skin of a 20-year-old, his muscles are still super old. But who knows? Maybe his organs and his muscles were repairing as well. But was this alien beam actually the fountain of youth? Interesting. We don't, we've seen people get shot with beams before by alien crafts and melt or have horrible burns, but I can't recall one where it had this sort of effect on someone for such a long period of time. The guy who melted, I mean, he died. This affliction lasted for almost 20 years for this man. So, bizarre story. If in another circumstance where it didn't regress him that young, 
it would actually would have been a miracle. He would have been able to handle his farm, and he's imagine getting hit by this alien beam and actually being younger and more fit and have your mind even more sharp. But instead, he was turned into a man with the skin of a 30-year-old and the brain of a baby. And that is nobody's... <laughs> that is nobody's fetish. I hope not. Blue Synth, go ahead and call in that Dead Rabbit Dirgible. We're going to leave behind this farm, and we are headed out to England. I didn't mention the story in the intro. I didn't know if I was going to cover it. It's actually really, really brief. Longtime listeners of the show know that I'm very, very picky with my musical taste. I despise jazz music. I know, I know, I know I risk losing listeners every time I mention that. I despise jazz music. I don't like a lot of music. I don't like stringed instruments. I can't eat while I'm listening to heavy metal. I have these really weird hang-ups about music. I listen to 1990s to early 2000s gangster rap, and I listen to pop music. I can listen to pop music from really the 80s to current hits today. Basically, those radio stations that your mom listens to all the time, That those radio stations are also for me. Hits from yesterday and today. I can listen to the newest Doja Cat. I can listen to Tiffany. I can listen to all this pop music that drives people nuts, drives people <laughs> absolutely up the wall. I can listen to it all day long. Adele, Britney Spears... Jonas Brothers, Big Time Rush, One Direction, all that stuff. All the hits, all the great ones. So most people think my musical taste is trash, and that's fine. I'm totally aware of that, right? That's the music I enjoy. I know most people don't. I don't tell people, oh no, you don't like Britney Spears, but you gotta listen to this album and then three songs off this album. You just don't like Britney Spears, and that's totally fine. I totally get it. I've never ever, I've listened to maybe one Rolling Stone song my entire life. And it was the one, most people wouldn't even consider it a Rolling Stone song, and technically it's a Mick Jagger song. It's the one with him and David Bowie, and they're dancing in the street. And I remember as a kid, when they were doing it, I'm like, this is trash. This is the Rolling Stones. This is like this, I thought these guys were competitors to the Beatles. I'm like, Rolling Stones are trash, dude. What is this? I've only heard Dancing in the Streets with Mick Jagger and David Bowie dancing uncomfortably close to each other. I'm eight years old. I'm like, what is this? What is this video? Are they are they a couple? Like, why are they why are their nipples touching while they're dancing? I couldn't really. I I knew I couldn't really make heads or tails of it. So I'm not a Rolling Stones fan. I'm not a Mick Jagger's fan. I've never really sat down and listened to a Mick Jagger or a Rolling Stones song until the other day, and it is brilliant. Now, this isn't a music review podcast. This obviously has something to do with paranormal conspiracy and true crime. This still, I guess, isn't Rolling Stone. This is still Mick Jagger. He came out. It's so, dude, this is really interesting because I saw the news articles pop up about it and then immediately they dropped the story, which goes to say something, which goes to say something. So there is a bit of a conspiracy angle here. I saw these articles pop up and it was almost like no one had listened to the song. Everyone wanted to be the first person to report that Mick Jagger had recorded a brand new song. Featuring Dave Grohl, who is dope. Like, as much as I may talk about my, my crappy musical taste, I recognize genius when I see it, and that's Dave Grohl. Like, everything he touches is amazing. So Dave Grohl and Mick Jagger made this song called Easy Sleazy, and I saw these articles pop up, and it was uh, they one of the articles had some of the lyrics, and I was like, what? 
So I listened to it, and I expected it to be trash. I expected it to be him and Dave Grohl dancing so close, their nipples are touching, and me being like, it's like being eight years old all over again. What in the world is going on? It's a perfect song about conspiracy theories and the lockdown and the effect of the quarantine, the COVID-19 quarantine on society and on a single person. It's brilliant. The song is amazing. It shows the mental degradation of Mick Jagger throughout the COVID. And it's it's very, very anti-lockdown, which is why I think they were reporting it being like, Mick Jagger has a new song, and they were hitting publish. And when you listen to the song, it is absolutely anti-lockdown. The first verse is basically like, I, I did whatever the government said, and I shouldn't have. They basically played me for a fool. I was like, whoa. I was listening to the song, and it has a lyric video. It'll be in the show notes. And I was like, whoa. Okay, this is not the narrative. And then the second verse is him just kind of going, trying to like find some sort of normalcy in the lockdown. Like he's kind of wandering around his house, and he's kind of losing his mind. And by the third verse, we get to this. And I'm going to have to say it. I can't sing it for copyright stuff, but this is how the third verse of this song starts. Shooting the vaccine. Bill Gates is in my bloodstream. It's mind control. The earth is flat and cold. It's never warming up. The Arctic's turn to slush. The second coming's late. There's aliens in the deep state. And you can easily read that as him mocking those conspiracy theories. But the fact that he's even... And I think it can go both ways. I think on the one hand, he is mocking it because there's just so many different conspiracy theories there. And we've noticed that some people would just believe in every conspiracy theory put in front of them. But on the other hand, the fact that he's even giving these conspiracy theories, like saying them in a song by Mick Jagger, a rock and roll icon. And the song itself is good, like the instrumentation or whatever you guys use to describe music. The fact that he's putting them in this song and he's amplifying them. When people are constantly trying to... This video may have trouble being on YouTube and Spotify because I even read those lyrics. Because him saying it... I'm not saying it's big and like he's red-pilled or anything like that, but you know what I mean? Like we have this rock and roll icon making jokes about the Bill Gates microchip in the bloodstream, aliens in the deep state. It's It's very, very interesting. And I think it shows that degradation of Mick Jagger. And I think we're going to see... I remember before I said we're coming to the golden age of conspiracy theory and then I called it off on that episode about the Nashville bombing I'll put it in the show notes saying that now we make conspiracy theories out of everything I I, I mean now I'm starting to think that we may I think we have a whole group of people now who have spent more time due to this lockdown spend more time in front of their computers than they had before they're working from home they were trapped in their homes. I think we're going to have people who are discovering conspiracy theories for the first time. And that could be like this character in Mick Jagger's song or Mick Jagger himself. He's been locked in so much, he's buying in to all these conspiracy theories. By the end of the song, the character in the song believes these things. Mick Jagger may be taking the piss out of him, but the character in the song actually believes these things because of the mindset that he's endured the lockdowns that have kind of locked them down. So I think that this song is kind of a herald to that. We may actually start to see people who were never interested in conspiracy theory 
become interested in conspiracy theory, a fresh fertile ground. The question is, who will win the battle? Will it be people like us who enjoy conspiracy theories, who believe some of them, but are analytical enough to discard ones that just don't make sense? It's that or real raw news and dark outpost. But I do enjoy conspiracy theories. I know you guys do. And apparently Mick Jagger knows enough about them to write this lyric. So sorry, Mick Jagger. Sorry if you are listening to this podcast. I apologize for saying your music sucks. I have now heard one song that I like of yours and one song that I didn't. So technically you're 50-50. It's not as good as Britney Spears, but it's doing okay. Blue Synth. I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys of the Carpenter Copter. We're leaving behind Mick Jagger's recording studio. He's still in the lockdown. He's like, no, please let me out. I'm going insane. See you later, Mick. Write some other songs. (laughs) We're never going to let him out. We're leaving behind this recording studio, and we're headed out to Jacksonville, Illinois. (laughs) We recently covered, I think it was Tuesday's episode, a haunted university in Ohio. And while I was researching that, I found a couple other haunted universities. Most of them. I always thought on this show, when I started doing this podcast two, three years ago, it's almost three years at this point, I always thought we'd be covering way more ghost stories. But when you read ghost stories, they're so repetitive, and it would constantly be stories, woman with no legs floating down the hall, orbs, uh, rocking chairs, stuff like that. It was so repetitive. I thought we would cover more ghost stories. I love covering ghost stories. I love reading ghost stories. So it turns out that a lot of colleges have ghost sightings, but most of them are in that vein. Most of them are, we hear that there's like a ghost floating down the hallway. (laughs) At least the Ohio University had an entire ghost basketball team. Like that's something I can sink my teeth into. Illinois College was founded in 1829. So of course there's going to be a ton of ghost sightings. In a school that old, there's going to be a ton of ghost sightings. And the question is how many of them are legit How many of them are just rumors? Because that's what's going to happen. Students coming and going, stories being passed on, altered, being made more elaborate. All of these things are going to happen over the years. We have a classic ghost story about a woman in love with a man. He gave her a ring. She wanted to test if it was a real diamond, so she etched her name into a window. That story is real. That's not a ghost story, right? That's just a woman wanting to see if a diamond is real. But she does that. And then through what, this is where the story gets more elaborate. Some people say that they were kept apart by her father and the man was trying to hide in this building. So he hid in the attic and nailed himself in and then starved to death. I mean, did he nail the hammer on the outside of the door and be like, oh, there we go. Now I don't have any way to get these nails out and I'll starve to death. Did the dad just wait on the other side of the door? For, you know, three or four weeks that he lay a siege to this attic. We don't know. There's just a door in this attic at Illinois College that has nails sticking out of the wrong side. So a story has evolved that a man nailed himself shut. Doesn't make any sense, but that's why they're in college to learn. (laughs) Obviously, this is the first day of college they haven't learned about nails or physics or ghosts or really anything at this point. Another version of the story is he went off to fight the Civil War, died when this young woman found out. She threw herself out of a window from the attic, falls to her death, and dies. Why does the attic keep popping up in the story? Well, apparently, two things. One, there was a window with this girl's name etched into it. So you had that level of proof. It's been replaced. So did that even exist? All the ghost stories that I read about this said that at least that existed. The other stuff, they go, well, you know, there's different versions of it, but apparently for a time, there was a woman's signature in this window. 
But the ghost story part starts with there is a rocking chair in the attic that is always facing out the window. That's where she sat in her rocking chair waiting for her beloved to come back from the Civil War. He's really locked in the other room with the nails poking out. He's like, help me, help me. And she's sitting there rocking back in the world's loudest rocking chair. It's so loud she can't hear his cries for help. If you go into the attic and you turn the rocking chair and then close the door, when you open it back up, the rocking chair will be facing the window again. That has to be a rumor for a couple different reasons. One, if it happened all the time, there's several ways you could test that is basically what I'm saying. One, you could have someone in the room as you shut the door. Two, nowadays you could put a camera up there. Three, if it's really her ghost, why would you have to shut the door? Like, what is the ghost? Is the ghost shy? Like, if it's a paranormal activity that happens every single time, why would you have to shut... Why would you have to close off visibility to the chair to make it move? This is what I'm, this stuff I'm talking about. Like, I'm not trying to poo-poo on these ghost stories. I find them fascinating. But this is where we have to analyze things. When someone tells you a ghost story like that, you go... Oh, when I first read that, I go, oh, that's kind of creepy. But then I started thinking, why, 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 why? And I started sounding like a little crybaby. Illinois College has a medical school there. The legend goes that they weren't allowed to... Back in the old times, I'm sure it's different now. I don't even know if it was real back then, but the legend goes they weren't allowed to use human bodies in medical schools. I don't know what they were using. They'd have to use human bodies. They didn't have plastic. They didn't have dummies. They weren't allowed to use human bodies. So some of the more ingenious medical students became grave robbers or paid grave robbers to bring them fresh corpses that they used in the attic of the medical school and late at night they'd all get together and be like dude you want to come over to the attic tonight and learn stuff oh yeah it's gonna be super awesome we're gonna cut open some people you bring the bruise i'll bring the corpses let's go eventually the smell people were walking around the medical school they were smelling rotting flesh which is not it's not a smell you want to smell anywhere, right? There's no business where that is a good smell. Even like a mortuary, there shouldn't be rotting flesh. The authorities are called. They raid the attic. There's a bunch of corpses up there. Does that story make any sense? No. Medical college, medical college most likely had access to corpses too. If you had access to corpses, even if it was illegal, you think you'd preserve them, right? You wouldn't just let them rot. You wouldn't be like, spring break. And you're all like at a party. You're like at Fort Lauderdale. And someone's like, hey, dude, what'd you do with all those corpses we illegally dug up? Huh? And it's like the hot, the hot Illinois sun. They're all cooking during spring break. If you're digging them up, you're preserving them. The story doesn't make any sense at all. But this is where we start doing the backtracking. Apparently, there used to be dorms in this building that the administration said we can't have dorms there anymore. No students can stay there. So what happened most likely, and we covered this on the episode on Tuesday, is there are dorms there that aren't able to be used, and people made up a story as to why. But Jason, are you just going to poo-poo ghost stories this whole episode? You say that you always want to cover them, and I do. You say that you have a hard time finding them, and I do. So why are you pooping all over these ones? Well, I'm not pooping all over Technically, I'm rotting flesh all over them, but I want to show the analytical side. Let's get to the meat of this matter. Let's get to the rotting cadaver flesh of this matter. On campus, this isn't they, they don't give a date to this story. 
there's a young woman. She's on her way to a party with her friends. They're going to go. They're, they finally got rid of the smell, the rotting flesh smell that has wafted over campus for weeks. It's a, it's a spring cleaning party. Everyone can now breathe easy. She's walking with her friends and she goes, you guys go ahead. I got to go back to the dorm and get something. And they're like, oh, okay. So they keep going and she runs back to her dorm. <laughs> she sounds like she's doing more than running. She runs back to her dorm. She's gooning. She runs back into her dorm. <laughs> Sorry if you didn't listen to Monday's episode. She runs back into her dorm and there's a spiral staircase that takes her up to the top. And she's running up the stairs. She sees the legs of someone standing up there. And she kind of hesitates. Everyone should be at the spring cleaning party. Everyone should be celebrating that it no longer smells like human stew. And she kind of slows down and she keeps slowly walking up the stairs. And she begins to see someone dressed in all gray. Their entire body is gray. She goes up a little bit further. And now she can see its face. And it has none. Now, it could be blurry. could be like a blurry face. But I'm imagining, imagine with me, grody. Like, it has like a caved in, like it literally has no face. Like, that dude from Saving Private Ryan. (laughs) Not Tom Hanks. Don't imagine Tom Hanks. Remember in Saving Private Ryan, you're like, Jason, I've tried blocking the scene out. Remember in Saving Private Ryan, where the guy's on the radio... And he's like going, hey, we need more bombs. And then he flips over. <laughs> you guys, someone who's never seen this movie, this makes no sense. He flips over and he has a hole in his face. It looks like a, a bowl. That's him. Well, imagine that guy. But, but in old timey in a gray outfit. Anyways, he has no face. It doesn't say, but I want to picture this dude with like a caved in face. Not that I want to. It's just scarier. That was the longest way to say he had a scary caved-in face. She runs down the stairs, obviously. She tells her friends, you won't believe what happened. Her friends and a bunch of other people go to the dorm. They can't find any sign of this guy. A legend that goes around school, he's called the Gray Man. Later on in time, there's a building, a dorm called Crampton Hall, where a guy goes to go to a party. This is later. We don't know actually how close this was to the first sighting, but he's supposed to go to this party. Tells his friend, hey, I gotta go. I gotta go back to my dorm. Yeah, like, okay, see you later. Later on, though, when the party's over and they go back and they go to check on this dude, they find his dorm room's empty. They start looking around for him. They open the closet. He's hanging in the closet. He's dead. And his hands are tied behind his back. And they say there was no way he could have tied his own hands behind his back. I know what you guys are thinking. Wait a second. A few years after that, this dude was supposed to hang out with his buddies, never showed up. This is also in Crampton Hall, actually. Supposed to show up, never never did. Let's go see what Barry's up to. He's supposed to hang out with us, but he's not here. And this is a lame party. We're all super lame. Without Barry, there's nothing going on. So they go to his dorm. They actually find his dorm empty. They look around, they can't figure out where he could be, and then one of them opens the closet, and there is Barry. I'm making up the name Barry. If his name is actually Barry, I'm not trying to put you on blast. He's hanging upside down, naked, with his hands behind his back. Help me, help me, you guys, you guys gotta help me, get me down from here. So they do. <laughs> he's not still hanging up there to this day. New new freshmen are coming in. He's like, hey, I'm Barry. Uh, welcome to Illinois University. I'm 60 years old. I've been hanging here all this time. 
They let him down. They ask him, what happened? What, what's going on? And he said a ghost did it. He said a ghost did it. He said that he'd fallen asleep with the lights on. He was laying in bed, fell asleep with the lights on. He hears a noise in his sleep. He wakes up and there's a gray man with no face standing over his bed. Some sicko. Some sicko goes, did it look, was it all caved in and gross like Saving Private Ryan? He's like, what? What's Saving Private Ryan? I don't, I don't know what that is. But he just had no face. He didn't go into detail either. They stared at each other for a while. And then he saw the gray man turn and walk into the closet. And the friends are like, wait, wait a second. I don't care. Like, how did you get in the closet? He's like, I don't know. The next thing I know, I was naked, hanging upside down with my hands tied behind my back. But I don't know. I'm assuming it was the gray man who did it. Apparently, that same night, other students said that they woke up. And the gray man was standing over their bed as well. I think these guys, both of them, were doing an act known as autoerotic asphyxiation. It does happen. We actually covered that at a college. And it was in Athens, Georgia. It was another college one. I'll put it in the show notes. But men will do it seemingly more often than women. They'll tie themselves up and they'll cut off the blood flow to their brain and they'll masturbate. It's a, it's a very dangerous sex game. So the first guy may have done it. It is possible to tie your hands behind your back in, in ways that people would not think it was possible. First guy may have done it. The second guy may have done it and got turned upside down and was hanging there for a long time. And then when he heard his friends barge into his dorm room looking for him, he's probably like, uh-oh, like I got to come up with an excuse as to why I'm naked hanging upside down in a closet. And the only excuse he could think of was ghost, which is not a great excuse. So it's possible that he was, luckily, right, he could have died. It's possible that he was trying to commit autoerotic asphyxiation, was saved just in the nick of time, or just in the neck of time, and everything turned out okay. Just He had a really lousy excuse. But here's, here's let's put on our conspiracy caps here. What if... Conspiracy cap firmly on. Hold it down to your head for this one. What if ghosts can affect you sexually? We've all heard stories about succubi and incubi. They're demons who feed off your sexual desires and your sexual energy. And basically the succubi, when you have sex with the succubi, it's creating demons in hell. That's one of the versions of it. Lilith. You call upon Lilith. You masturbate. It's all these sex spell stuff. We've covered it before on the show here and there. I don't think we've ever done a deep dive into it. It's pretty common stuff. But what if it's way more widespread than that? Here's my thing. Here's what I'm thinking. What if this dude wasn't trying to commit autoerotic asphyxiation? What if the ghost was making him do that? We always run into these stories where people, the people who die accidentally of this, we go, but what if that wasn't their thing? What if the ghost tricked them and tricked them into going? It's like the ghost is like, take off all your clothes. Oh, you're so fit. You're so muscular. You're like, thank you, great ghost. How can you see without a face? He's like, I have other ways of seeing. And why don't you tie your hands behind your back? Like, what if the goat, what if there's a spiritual world that leads us on to do stuff we otherwise wouldn't do? What if a ghost could alter that behavior? What if you never wanted to commit autoerotic asphyxiation? What if you never had a fetish for armpits? What if you never ever thought about being a feeder, like feeding someone so much and watching them get super fat? 
But a ghost wanted you to do that stuff. Like the spiritual world was influencing you in some way. And I'm not talking about like demons. I'm talking about ghosts. Because when we talk about ghosts, a lot of times the lore says they have unfinished business. What if their unfinished business is being a pervert? What if you're a totally normal person and your wife brings home some trinkets she got from the thrift store? And you're like, great, another another statue of Brainy Smurf. Perfect. It's totally going to go with the rest of the Smurf collection. But that statue was owned by a pervert. He was owned by a peeping Tom. When we talk about ghosts and possessed dolls and stuff like that, we always think about external stuff like you hear footsteps or there's a woman whispering in your ear. But what if this ghost actually inspires perverted desires inside of you? Where all of a sudden, for whatever reason, you start having dreams about looking in through people's windows. That's weird. Never had a dream like that before. But you brush it off, right? Dreams are weird. But then you start to think about it more. You find yourself looking for stories online, new stories about peeping toms getting caught. You find yourself starting to watch porn videos, upskirt videos, dressing room videos, hidden camera videos. You start to get this need to be voyeuristic as that little brainy Smurf statue. (laughs) This episode sponsored by Payo. That little brainy Smurf statue is sitting on the shelf. This ghost is influencing these thoughts and desires in you you never would have had before. Until you finally are driving through random neighborhoods one night, trying to look through windows as you drive by, fleeting glimpses. It's not enough. Eventually, you find yourself sneaking up outside of a young woman's house and peering in through her window when she's all alone. These thoughts, these desires were never yours. But if you get caught, you're going to pay the price for them. Not this ghost, not this spiritual entity that is latching onto you. And again, it's not a demon. It's not malicious. It just wants to continue its fetish, even in death. That's conspiracy cap fully on. I have no proof of any of that. I just find it another possible piece of this onion we call the paranormal. Remember, this gray ghost appeared in several bedrooms that night. But only Barry ended up tied up in the closet. Was he more susceptible to the ghost? Was he the one that fell victim to its sick desires? Who knows? It's just creepy to think that when we look out and see people, when they do stuff, we go, How? why would you even do that? Why would you even think about taking such a chance? What sort of visceral thrill is really there for just a brief moment of sexual pleasure? You're willing to risk it all. Maybe they don't have a choice. Maybe even they don't understand why they're making that decision. Even they can't comprehend what's going on. There's just something next to them, something unseen, but it's there. The spirit goads them forward. It needs the pleasures of the flesh because it is no longer flesh. It is an immortal spirit that will never be satisfied no matter how perverted its victims become. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. 
Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>